0: Welcome each one that's here tonight. Say good evening, and may the peace, the grace of God, be on each one that's here this evening. It's good to be here. I, if you'd asked me ten years ago if I think I'll ever stand up here do, preaching here in this building, I would have probably told you never. And probably, if somebody would ask you that, you probably would have said the same thing. So, I. I'm keenly aware that that um like like Brother Floyd mentioned, a lot of memories have been made here and I in a way it's intimidating for me to stand here now and and preach the word because most of y'all probably knew me ten or fifteen years ago and probably had your questions about my life and probably rightfully so. But what I would what I would like to assure you tonight that we have the word of God, the same word that my parents had, the same word that my grandparents had. The same word of God that has stood sure throughout the whole of time. And from that I would like to from that I would like to preach this evening, these coming days. <laughs> greetings from brethren in commerce. My dad and I think there's one other person, I don't remember who it was, told me I was supposed to bring greetings and whoever that person was, I guess you can you can you can take those greetings. Welcome to come visit us there. A few of y'all have, but some of you it's been a long time. So glad to have my wife Anita here with me and two children, daughter Kelsey and son Tyrell. First time I've ever been anywhere preaching several sermons in a row, and it is I'm sure it's going to be stretching, but in a way I've been looking forward to it because when I get done preaching a sermon, I always feel like I've, I've been blessed more than the people that have listened. And so I'm looking forward to God's work in my life. And I also hope that sometime this week I say something that you don't agree with. Because if I don't, maybe, um, maybe that means that I'm just saying what I think y'all want to hear instead of what God would have me to. And so I would like to... I hope that that you're challenged to do something different at least one time this whole week. Keep on praying. And above all of that, I can then go home and practice what I preach here. A subject I've been studying on a lot the last three or four months, and I feel led to preach several of these messages at least on, is the subject of discipleship. And we want to flesh out the discipleship, some in some later messages, but you're not going to offend me, because I'm going to ask you to be honest, okay? And you're going to have to help me a little bit. How many of you think the subject of discipleship is kind of a boring subject or one that you don't have a lot of interest in? If that's where you're at, raise your hand. I'm not going to be offended. Yeah, kind of-ish. Yeah, some. Who who here thoroughly enjoys the subject? You do? We've got a few. That's good. I'm glad to see that. You know, until a few months ago, I I really didn't enjoy the subject. I would have tolerated it and I agreed with it, but I didn't enjoy it. And so, consequently, because I didn't really enjoy it, I probably still don't understand it very well. But I believe, I've come to believe through studying this, that it is such a foundational part of the Christian life. And because we so often miss that, that then we go on to miss the mark in our lives, our, our daily life, because we're focused on what we're doing instead of why. And that, see, that's why discipleship really changes the picture is because... Well, we'll talk about some of this, but, but when we start focusing on, on Jesus and becoming like Him, we start, we start noticing the things He said, His reactions to people He came in contact with, and we start thinking about how I can model that in our lives, and then it's why we're doing it instead of what we're doing it. And I also believe that discipleship Let me back up a little bit. Not everybody, maybe everybody here in our home congregation, I couldn't say this. We have a pretty diverse group of people there. but Most of us have grown up in a Christian home. And so if we have, if you come from a Christian home, I hope that discipleship began in your home. In every Christian home, discipleship should begin for for the children in that home. And so... When that happens and you become a child of God and you become a church member and you become a Sunday school teacher and you become a minister, it's a continuation of that. And a lack of, a lack of discipling in the home is not going to be able to be fixed by the church, by the preachers, by any amount of, of accountability or help that we can give to someone. And so my burden, this a lot of this burden of this has been born because of seeing a lot of people, young people in particular, but not only young people, that have, I would say, little desire. I wouldn't say they don't have a desire to live for Jesus, but they have little desire to live for Jesus with their whole heart. You know, whatever I don't, whenever I don't have to give up something, whenever I don't have to do something I don't want to do, then I'm okay doing it. But I'm not gonna ever. I'm not ever going to give up what I want to do for the sake of Christ, and so that's what I would like. That's what I would like to inspire in us these next couple of evenings: is that, as disciples of Christ, we don't look so much about what I want to do or how it feels to me, but more what what Jesus' life would have, and and studying that and, and living that would have us do. The title of the message tonight is, What is a Disciple? I thoroughly enjoy history. I thoroughly enjoy Jewish history. And I enjoy early church history. And so, if you don't, some of these facts I go over tonight may be just a little bit boring to you. but, But think with me, what is a disciple? What does a disciple do? Long before the days of Jesus discipleship was already a thing. We think about it because we read about it in the New Testament, but even long before that, a lot of teachers, a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the word sages. Old people that were teaching the word and, and giving the word of God to the people. I'm going to call them sages because I don't know what other word to, to describe, what, what other word to use them. The sages, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law of Moses, the Torah. They had disciples. Think about that. Moses had a disciple. Joseph and... Joseph. Now his name left me. Joshua. Joshua was Moses' disciple in a way. He was following along with Moses. He He was living with Moses day in and day out. He was walking by his side. He saw all the things Moses was doing. He saw Moses' responses to the people. He saw the things that Moses failed in. He saw Moses' victories. He saw how stubborn these Israelites were. And when it was time for Moses to turn the, to turn the, uh, th- to turn the responsibility of the people over to someone else, God told Moses, Here, you've got, you've got this young man, Joshua, that's been walking beside you. And he's seen everything that's been done. And he knows the law. He heard you teach the law of God to the people. Turn it over to him. He's a good, he's a good one for that. Moses, I don't know if that was intention or not, but he was discipling this young man. Elijah had a disciple, a servant. It was called there. It was Elisha, and that was passed on to Elisha. Elisha also had a servant Gehazi, and I don't really know what happened with him because I don't think he really took on the job of prophecy after Elisha left. But it was. Those are just a few of Old Testament examples. But it was especially in a couple hundred years leading up to the time of Christ. There was a lot of that. A lot of it began in the period where the children of Israel were in Babylon in captivity. It became a lot more that the teachers would take these young men under their wings and they would teach them the law. Because they saw a lack of that is what brought them to Babylon, where they were. People forgot God. And they were very intentional about making sure that people remember God and His law. The Hebrew word for disciple is a Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D, Talmud. And it means a student. And oftentimes, when it's in the plural, we translate as disciples, a student or a disciple. His job was to learn everything that the master had to teach. These are the things that they were supposed to learn from their teacher. They learned the stories that the teacher told. And these stories were history of their people. These stories were also stories that their teachers would use to teach a point, to drive a point home. And Jesus did a lot of that too, didn't he? He used a lot of stories. We call them parables. Things that in a way were kind of unrelated to the point of, that he was driving to that he was trying to make. But he used a story. And so a good rabbi would teach his students a massive amount of stories that then once they were no longer disciples and they were rabbis that they would use those stories to teach. They were all supposed to learn the lessons that their teachers taught. The lessons that these stories were teaching. They were to learn to eat the foods that their teacher ate and the way that their teacher ate them. The food. We're talking about they lived with him, right? Everything they did. Who would have wanted to be John the Baptist's disciple? If you had to eat the food he did. If you had to eat the same kind or wear the same kind of clothes he did. I'm kind of surprised he had any disciples. But this is what they were doing. They were learning to do all this. They learned to keep the Sabbath the way that their teacher kept the Sabbath. To give to poor people the way their teacher gave to poor people. They learned to pray the way their teacher prayed and to fast the way their, pre- their teacher fasted. You know, I always wondered why the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They said, John taught his disciples how to pray. Why, you know, Can you teach us how to pray? It wasn't out of context in their, in their day because rabbis did that a lot. They... they the disciples learned to pray exactly the way the rabbi, the rabbi did. They learned to keep God's commands the way their teacher kept them. Disciples followed their teacher everywhere he went, and the teacher taught his disciples everything he could. It was kind of a reciproc- reciprocating thing there. They followed them everywhere he went, and the disciples were often, were often looked to, and we'll look at some of this later. They were supposed to help pay for a lot of the expenses. The rabbi didn't have a lot of expenses as they were being taught. But then the ultimate goal was that when that disciple had learned all that the rabbi knew, the rabbi, more than anything else, wanted that disciple to go above and beyond his knowledge. The rabbi wanted the disciple to be better than he was. And he wanted that disciple... To disciple other disciples and those disciples to disciple other disciples, and this method of teaching these young men the laws of God and all these stories and their history was going to keep them f- from forgetting where they came from and help them to to stay on track and on their on, on their their course with god Luke six verse forty King James Version says. Everyone that is perfect shall be as his, as his master. The NIV says every disciple that is fully trained will be like his teacher. Every disciple that is fully trained will be like his teacher. So do you see why the Pharisees were, were petrified when Jesus came teaching and preaching and they saw the way that Jesus lived and they started getting on to Jesus about the things that his disciples were learning? Think about this now. Jesus is a rabbi. The Jews to this day say he is a rabbi because he was a teacher. A teacher is just literally a rabbi. So Jesus was a teacher. and But this is how he lived. Jesus, his disciples were going through this field of corn on the Sabbath day or grain or whatever it was and his disciples were picking ears of corn off and they were eating that because they were hungry. And Jesus didn't make them stop. Well, that went against their law. They were concerned because remember his his disciples are learning by his life and his teaching. Jesus also had a habit of eating with tax collectors, with publicans and, and people that were not Jews. He healed this Roman officer's daughter. Just let her die, right? She's a Roman. Who cares? He talked to this lady that was divorced for seven, six or seven times already. And he was sitting there at the well and he was talking with her. And she wasn't even a Jew to begin with. This prostitute that they brought in to, in front of him, did he stone her? Did he even tell them to stone her? Did he let them do what the law said they were supposed to do? He said, neither do I condemn you. Just go and don't sin anymore. Do you see why he was a little, they were a little concerned about this? Jesus' disciples are going to learn this. They're watching him, they're listening to him, and they're going to in turn live like this. And so, because that was not the right way to them, a rabbi teaching this was not a good thing to them. I have five points that I would I'm going to go over, and we touched on a few of these already briefly. But but what he meant to be a disciple, what you were learning as a disciple the first and the ultimate thing was to learn a life of service. A life of service. These rabbis were supposed to be serving people. They were serving other people. They were not... It was not about them. It wasn't about how good they looked and their glory. It was a life of service. And that service was supposed to be ultimately a spiritual cause, but developing these young men's minds and their lives. The Hebrew term... For what he means to be a disciple is, I don't know how to just, just how to say that exactly. Shemush that means a deacon or a servant of the rabbis. That's what a disciple was—a deacon or a servant. And by the way, that's what I'm supposed to be. is a deacon, I wasn't—I wasn't ordained a a minister, although I was given a a preaching charge. But the word deacon is is literally what the Jews would use here. They're the same word that that in, in Hebrew is, is translated deacon, is what they use for, for a disciple. A life of service. Just, just serving others. Serving your master. And so they taught that serving is essential as the first stage of discipleship. Because you learn to serve your master before you love him. You learn to serve him before you understand what he's teaching. You learn to serve him before you've seen his life. So you, you, just, you learn to serve. That's what you've got to learn if you want to be a disciple, first of all. The object of discipleship is to follow, emulate, copy, duplicate, and replicate your rabbi. And I used all those words intentionally. They're all synonyms. And that was really the object of that, was to learn to just do exactly like your rabbi. But to learn to do that, you had to serve him first according to the to the, uh, the law of the Jews, the disciple would carry the rabbi's baggage. The rabbi never went around carrying anything if he had a disciple. The disciple was supposed to carry that. He was supposed to prefer, prepare the food to his liking. So if you liked roasted, which I guess they couldn't eat pork, but if you liked roasted steaks, and I liked mine grilled to perfection, if the rabbi liked his roasted or boiled or whatever, that's how I was responsible to make the food. didn't matter what I wanted. My taste didn't matter. It was the rabbi's. That mattered. That's how I made it. A disciple also could not contradict his rabbi in public or rule against his rabbi in matters of the Torah. If I didn't agree with you, it didn't matter. I was supposed to shut my mouth. I was serving you. And later I was going to learn why I disagreed. We have a fascinating text that demonstrates this. In 2 Kings 3.11, well, chapter 3, but in, in verse 11 is the verse I want. Jehoshaphat, was, was, they were fixing to go to war. And he asked this question, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that, me, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And that means that he literally washed did everything for Elijah down to washing his hands. So when Elijah had dirty hands, Elisha would pour water on that. Everything that Elijah, that Elijah needed elisha did, that's how much of a servant he was. He poured water on his hand, he washed his feet that's like that was everything that, everything that he did and elisha's servant when when um, Naaman came knocking at his door, Elisha didn't even go to the door. His servant went first and check out who was there the The rabbi wasn't supposed to have to do everything. that's what his servants were for. that's what his disciples were for was to learn how to do that. Point number two that they were supposed to be doing, they were supposed to memorize their teacher's words. You know how cheap paper is these days? This Bible, I didn't even look up where it was made. But I bet most of our Bibles in here are printed in China. Never mind, this one's not. We get, there's a, we're, we're kind of involved as a church in a, in a work in Guatemala. And there's this native there's this native language that we were looking for Bibles for. And these people they have a Bible in their language, but they're extremely expensive. They're about thirty bucks U.S. And there's a a Kekchi Indian is never going to have thirty dollars in his pocket at one time. So how do you get Bibles to them for a reasonable price? So after negotiating and going back and forth, we found this place in China that'll print those Bibles and send them over. By we have got to buy a whole container load at a time, and they'll send them over there. And it's not a nice Bible like this, but it's, it's a pretty decent Bible. It's kind of one of those fake leather, leather-bound Bibles, a little smaller than this. But they'll ship them things down there for about five or six bucks. They'll print them, and they'll ship them all the way over there. You talk about an abundance of cheap paper and cheap labor. You know how much work it would have taken to write down the law and scrolls so that every one of those disciples would have had it? They just didn't have it. So they were supposed to memorize these words. They were supposed to memorize and, and consequently a lot of these young men had close to what I would say photographic memory. I mean they didn't see it but they heard it and when they heard it it was in their memory. They could, they could pull it out of their memory if they wanted to. Our days of everything being written down or worse yet on our, on our digital communication, you know how small our minds and our memories have gotten? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be a first grader in a rabbi school until we until we cultivated the memory capabilities that they did but that was the second most important thing to do after they learned service was to begin to memorize because remember if you don't know what your rabbi knows and you don't know what he says the rest of this doesn't matter you don't you're not going to begin to understand it you're not going to know how to teach it you're not going to know why he did a specific thing? Why he did? Because you don't know. You don't remember. It's not in your mind. What does Psalm one nineteen say about the Word of God? How precious it is. How much He delights in it. Um, how's a young man going to cleanse his way by taking heed, paying attention to what's in the Word, memorize it. I I don't know if y'all do here as a school. I think we still do at home. I don't have any school-age children, but when I went to school, we had a memory passage, and every morning we memorized those verses. And there's there's passages that I still I don't I don't I don't think I could quote them anymore. But when I read those passages in Psalms and in Matthew and in John and different passages, I'm like, yeah, I remember when we learned this in school. Memory, memory that was one that was the second most important thing. The oral transmission process was the only method practiced among these people I call the sages because they didn't have books. Now they may have had part of the law, but even some of these. Some of these um, rabbis did not have the law. The law was in the synagogues. The law was in the temple. They could go and they could read it, but they did not have their personal copy, most of them. Through, Through constant repetition, disciples memorized their teachers' words and were able to repeat them to subsequent generations. Now Jesus was God, I know, but He was also man. Jesus had memorized a lot of Scripture. What happened when the scribes and Pharisees came to him when asking him how to, um, what was the right thing to do. Oftentimes he quoted scripture, right? He quoted verses from the Old Testament. He prophesied, or he said, how these, this day these things are fulfilled in your ears. The scriptures that he had read there in a the, in the synagogue. To the devil, when he came tempting him, he used the word of God. To some of these poor sinners, when he was trying to teach them, he. Used scripture, and it wasn't New Testament either. It was the Law of God. It was the Old. Even the Pilate he used the words of God. Jesus had memorized some of this. The third thing they were supposed to learn was to learn their teachers' traditions and interpretations. I know the word tradition is we don't like that very that very much, and probably because we've seen a lot of tradition without life, and and that's that has its own set of problems, but. That was one of the that's the third point that they that they still stress the Jewish rabbis is that they they learn their teachers' traditions and interpretations, and so these these rabbis and these teachers will sit together and they have these heated discussions. Jews, by the way, love arguing and they love discussing scripture, and they don 't all agree on scripture and the application of it, but they still sit there and they had these arguments and and Jesus was in the temple sitting there and the teachers were having these discussions back and forth. And it's because some of these rabbis had a different interpretation. I interpreted things different than than the next man did. And so we'd have these heated debates. The disciples were sitting there listening to that and they were always going to believe their rabbi but at least they were being exposed to lots of other ways of thinking. And then when they became a rabbi, they had the ability to Take on some of the teaching of some of the other people, but their traditions and interpretations, they were supposed to memorize that to learn that. The parables, the stories that he used to explain the meanings that he drew out of scripture, the way he ex- explained a verse or understood a concept, a concept, each of these was of utmost importance, because if you're going to be like your master, you're going to have to memorize all these things. you have to learn all these things. And to a disciple, these things were like gems and pearls meant to be gathered and treasured. And still today disciples have arguments among themselves. I'm talking about Jewish still, have arguments among themselves because their rabbis don't agree. And so even while while they have never thought out the process behind all of this, because a rabbi says that, we're going to hang on to that. That's that's my that's mine. Fourth point is to imitate. I'd use those that string of words earlier, emulate, copy, duplicate, and replicate. That's what they were trying to do is to imitate their teacher's actions. It was a job of a disciple to be like his teacher. And the life of a disciple was a direct reflection on the teaching of his rabbi. So if I was a disciple of Gamaliel like Paul was, and my life took a different course, and I went down a different course than Gamaliel did... That was a direct reflection on the teaching of Gamaliel. That was an insult to Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the highest, was the, one of the most notable scholars in his day. We could talk some more about him. Interesting how open minded he was, though, right? But he was one of the leading scholars of the day. But Paul, the way Paul's life turned out, didn't look good for Gamaliel. One of his scholars went astray because Paul was not imitating the actions of his teacher. Back to that verse in Luke 6, verse 40. Every disciple fully trained will be like his master. I guess Paul wasn't fully trained because he changed after a while. And the fifth point was, like we mentioned already, was to raise up new disciples. That was the ultimate test of a rabbi's skill or usefulness was when his disciples, at least some of them, went on to become rabbis and disciple other young men if all of your disciples just ended up going back to fishing, um, you weren't much of a rabbi. You kind of had, your teaching wasn't the greatest. So that was their goal. Now that's the cultural context of the institution of discipleship, the Jewish culture. So when Jesus called his disciples, these are things they were called to do. And he spent three years, more or less, traveling with them. And it wasn't like, I don't think they got to go home every night. It appears like they just traveled with Jesus, town to town to town. Peter at least was married. History, the historians say a few of the others were as well. And they probably got to see their wives. But Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God. You were his disciple and you were going to follow him the whole way. Interestingly enough, when Jesus left His disciples, this is what He told them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the Great Commission really is just the normal job of a disciple. It's just really what disciples were supposed to do, to raise up more disciples. Disciple-teacher relationship was stronger than blood. In those days, if so, I'm trying to think how to say that. One of the one of the names you probably y'all have probably heard audio books or there's there's a movie out on that too. Judah Ben Hur. You ever heard that name, Judah Ben Hur? Okay, Judah Ben Ben was of a, Ben means from the house of Judah of the house of Hur. That was his family name. And so when a disciple got through with the teaching of a rabbi, and then he was called... I'm not even going to say the Jewish words here. He was called a disciple of the house of his rabbi. His, his Kaufman, in my case, was dropped off. And it would have been Laverne of the house of whoever my rabbi was. It was stronger than blood. And this was the reason. They believed that the teacher... Is to be accorded higher honor than your birth father, because your birth father brought you into this world, but your teacher brings you into the next world. They recognize that eternity and being in the kingdom of God is stronger and is more important than blood relatives, blood relations. So that's why they did that. Okay. Leaving some of that, there's an important distinction that needs to be made when we speak of discipleship and the disciples of Jesus. See, these these rabbis, the focus was on them and in their thought process and the way they perceived Scriptures and the way they taught. And the disciples would try to become like them so that they could teach like their rabbi did so that their disciples would become like their rabbi. See the, see the cycle of things? Jesus said in Matthew 23, this is in the New King James Version, you're not called to be rabbi, For ye have only one master and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for ye have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for ye have one teacher, the Messiah. That's one of the notable differences between the Jewish rabbis, if you would, the Jewish disciples and the disciples of Jesus. All of us are called to be a disciple of God, disciple of Jesus. And we are called to disciple people. We are called to make disciples of people. But what does it say there in Matthew, Matthew twenty? Lost my place here. There, there, there on the um, when he gave the when he told them to go and make disciples of all nations. What did it mean, or what did he say? Go and make disciples of me. Or of you. Go and make disciples, people to be more like you. He said, Go when you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. Make disciples of me. Remember that Jesus is the focus. And on the surface, maybe it seems to contradict while we we have teachers and we have elders and we have pastors and we have we have ministers, we have evangelists, and we have we have people that are teaching. And maybe it seems to contradict that, but I don't think it I don't think it's a contradiction. Because ultimately we've got to point people to God. And I think to be a disciple of God, to be a an effective disciple of God, we have got to do that. It has got to be not me teaching you. It has got to be the Word of God. It has got to be Jesus. It has to be. Because if it's me and my neighbors look up to me because of who I am and because of all the good I have done and then they see me relate to another neighbor or someone else or they hear me or whatever it is and they're majorly disappointed and they're like, I just can't believe that person would do that. See, that's what happens when we put too much stock in the person instead of, instead of, instead of in God. When we we have teachers we have leaders we we love and we appreciate them and there's that is that's totally valid but remember this that the work of a disciple the work of a rabbi should be to point people to god to point people to jesus and we don't do this and live this way because this is just how we've decided to do it um we need to point people to the word of god I think ultimately, ultimately what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples was that, this isn't going to be after I leave, you're not going to have a school of Peter, you're not going to have the um, what, are, what are all these other words, the, the college that he's named after, after um, John and, and all these academies of, of Bartholomew and whoever all of them were. It's, it's Jesus is who we're going to be pointing people to. This was going to be Jesus was supposed to take on the role of master. And we need to be careful lest we let our teachers and leaders become our masters. And I trust you understand what I'm saying. We need to be careful that we don't look to people only for solutions and answers and understanding of Scripture. Interesting conversation with a... a, Old order Amish man one time, and I asked him why he doesn't. he. he we were talking about scripture, and he said he never, he didn't even. He said he had a Bible, but he didn't ever read it. I was like, why? He's like, well, that's the preacher's job is to read it and tell us what's in the scripture. The preacher better be doing that, but you better be doing that too, because if you're just looking to the preacher to do that, how are you going to know when he goes off track? How are you going to know when he misses? When he is misinterpreting what the scripture says? How are you going to know that? You won't. If you don't know what the Word of God says, so always do like the Bereans did when they were through preaching. They went and they sought out these things to see if they're true and to see if they're facts. Do that. You have a responsibility as a disciple to not build your life on the lives of other disciples. Our master is still alive. You know, all these other rabbis died. And then it didn't really matter if it was Gamaliel or if it was Paul that you were following. It didn't matter because Gamaliel was gone. Paul was the one here. So what was wrong with me being a follower of Paul? But our master is still alive. And so that has never got passed down to another teacher. Invitation to discipleship is still an invitation today. Every person has that, has that privilege, has the ability to be a disciple. And it is, it is your choice. Your rabbi is calling you to follow Him. You can be a disciple just like Peter, James, and John. You can be one of those people that, if Jesus were here on this earth... And He was going through a hard time like He was just before the crucifixion where He would want you close to Him to pray with Him because He would feel better knowing that you are. They kind of let Him down there, didn't they? You can also become a person that other people, other disciples or otherwise, even, even people that don't know God, that when they're going through a hard time and they're fixing to face something difficult, or they are, or they want you close to them. Where they want you to know what's on their heart. And they don't mind a bit telling you exactly their feelings. Because they want you to know, because they know that you care and that you're going to stand with them. Question that I've asked myself a lot of times well, who then is disciple material? Who can what kind of person can be a disciple, really? What kind of person can be disciple? Who's, who's disciple material? I find it just amazing that of all the people that Jesus could have picked from, He chose Peter as a disciple. Peter, um, you can probably name a few more things than, I, than what I thought about, but Peter didn't come with an impressive resume. He was pretty much a fisherman. It sounded like that's about all he'd ever known. He wasn't the smartest. He had a hard time catching on to Jesus' teaching like all His disciples did, and like I'm sure I would. He wasn't the most gifted, the most talented. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. Like he never had a chance, did he? He wasn't part of the elite ruling class. He wasn't a religious expert. I kind of think with some of the things that Peter said, he was about as close to a Jewish heathen as you could get. Like he probably went to the synagogue, but I don't know how much he knew of the Word of God. He was just plain ordinary. He was an uneducated I'm going to say mini barn builder or relish maker or a pole barn builder or whatever you are that you do. He was just a typical country boy. Probably like most of our degrees are here today. It's also clear from the Gospels that Peter was far from perfect. Jesus started telling His disciples how He's going to go How he's going to go and to go to Jerusalem and suffer all these things and then be crucified, and then the third day he's going to rise again. And what did Peter do? He did something a disciple should never do to his master. He starts reprimanding him and saying, You can't be like that. Stop saying that. Um, The King James says he began to rebuke him. He began to scold him in public in front of his other disciples. He didn't even know how to be a disciple, did he? Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother if he comes to me? What did he think Jesus was going to say? Did he think Jesus was going to say, I'd say five or ten times a day is about enough. What did he think Jesus was going to say? I don't think he had thought that one through. I think he probably had a hard time forgiving maybe some of the Romans. I don't know who it was. He had a hard time forgiving. Maybe it was his brothers, maybe it was his dad, maybe he was bitter that of his dad for something. I don't know, but he didn't want to have to forgive more times than he had. He was trying to figure that out. He also after he discovered that he could walk on water after that, I mean, we're talking 10 seconds later. He saw these big waves at the same time while he's feeling this feeling of elation. Have you ever walked on water? I never have. I don't think you're ever going to. You're never going to see that happening. He's doing this and he sees this wave coming and he gets scared. Really? Peter even denies Jesus three times. These are the exact words it says. When this girl came and said, you were with Jesus too, he denied before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. Another time... Uh, Another maid comes out and says, you were with Jesus. This time it says, he denied with an oath. I know not the man. His language is getting a bit worse, right? The third time it says, then, he began, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Wow. But remember, the reason that God chose Peter was because Peter was disciple material. Jesus was turning him into a disciple. Jesus didn't get a disciple. He was making a disciple. And that's why I believe that every human that's born is disciple material. Because it doesn't matter if you're a disciple now or not. It doesn't matter if you know God. It doesn't matter if you know, if you've ever heard anything in Scripture. Or if you, Maybe you've never heard a word of Scripture. That doesn't matter. Because it's what you can become that makes you disciple material. Peter's life was transformed through the process of discipleship. And I believe that's what's happening in your lives. And I believe that's what's happening in my life. And I I pray that that will continue to the end of our lives. That our lives are being transformed through the process of being a disciple of Jesus. And just somehow in a more real way, understanding Jesus and all the things that... He did. Peter ended up being a, I'd call him a great Christian leader. Courageous witness to Christ and even a martyr for the cause of Christ. That sounds like a disciple, doesn't it? Somebody who's willing to die for his master because he so fully believes that to be the right way. Yeah, it didn't matter what he was before it matters what he became. A rabbi once asked, this is in a book, it's called The Book of Virtues by a man named William Bennett. A rabbi once asked his disciples, what would you do if you found a money purse in the road? Said the first, I'd find the owner and return it. <clears throat> the rabbi thought to himself, his answer was in haste. Does he really mean it? Said the second disciple, if no one saw me, find it, I'd keep it. Thought the rabbi, he is honest but wicked hearted. Third disciple says after pondering, I would be tempted to keep it. But then I would pray to God for the strength to resist temptation and perform a righteous action. Thought the rabbi to himself, now there is a man I can trust. See, the first man right away said what was the right thing to do, right? He knew the right thing to say. But I don't know if he'd have done it. He probably would have done the same thing the second guy did. If nobody saw him, he would have kept it. But the third man recognized that he was in the flesh and that his first impulse was going to be to do this. But then he was also saying, but because I know better, because of what you've taught me, then I would ask God to help me do the right thing. Often it's easy to give the right answer, but maybe not even mean it. But I believe it's the one who is honest with himself, recognizes his humanity, but then makes a choice based on what is right and what he's been taught by his Master that is going to do right. Matthew 10, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said, Whosoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I think the essence of this text is is just, it's essential that the disciples put Jesus first. I don't think Jesus was saying, You need to, Peter, you need to just despise your wife and see her as little as you can. Those that had their parents left, you just don't worry about them. Don't ever go home to see them. Don't ever do anything. What he was saying was, There better be nothing more important in your life than me, than God. And that's one of the things that rabbis still teach: is that if you want to be a disciple, you've got to put me first, in front of your family, in front of your blood relatives, in front of what you want to do. If you like your steak grilled and I like mine boiled, you're going to have to eat yours boiled. You've just got to you've got to give up what you want. So, question: How can we serve our rabbi today, Jesus? How can we serve him today? You know, it'd be easier if he was here and we could travel with him and we could we could stop at DQ and we could buy him his burger and we could have it custom ordered the way he liked it or or we could cook his food or we could wash his dishes and his clothes and we could follow along and just literally listen to the words he teaches. That'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? How but how how can we serve Jesus today? And the reason for this question is that remember that was the first, the foremost thing that they still teach. Their disciples is that you must learn to serve your rabbi. Matthew 25, verses 34 to 45. I'm going to go read all of those, but King said to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed my father. I was in hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And it was exactly the opposite for those that thought every time that God was looking, they were doing the right thing. He said, but you weren't doing it to the least of these, so you didn't, you didn't do it to me. How can we serve God? How can you serve your Master? I think it begins by serving others around you. It begins by serving your brothers, your sisters. It begins by serving your neighbors. It begins by doing something for that person that you'd rather not have anything to do. Um... In our culture, we want to do things with nice people, with people that look clean, people that look good. And the people that don't, it's a little harder to associate with them, right? Okay, if, no, if none of you all see me, it's, it's easier to be talking with that bedraggled looking guy at the stoplight or wherever it is or under the bridge. But when all my friends are around, you going to catch me talking to him? That's the test of how much of a servant you are to God. When someone shows up for church services, and you've never seen him before, and and he's full of tattoos or he smells like he came right out of a still, how do you look at that person? Is he disciple material? Are you willing to do something for him? Here in Matthew, he's he says something simple as giving him a drink, simple as inviting him to your house for food to eat. That's a little scary, I know probably should use discretion depending on the on the circumstances but the point is are you serving your fellow man four questions i want to close with am i serving my master doing things for him by blessing the least of these am i memorizing his word and his teaching am i imitating my master's actions words and the heart of love he showed when He was here on earth? Number four, does my life inspire in others a desire to follow Jesus? Am I intentional in teaching and showing other disciples of Jesus by word and way of life how Jesus lived and taught? I trust that You'll continue praying for the next coming sermons. I, I have, there's a, there's a few more things in the life of Jesus that I would like to zero in on, and try to understand his teaching and his his what I really think he wanted us to get. And some of these are things that God has been working on me for. So I trust you'll continue praying that the Spirit of God um, works among us. I think we'll, let's just all stand together for a closing prayer.